Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. We appreciate those who are visiting with us, our guests. We're very glad you could be with us. If you've got your Bible, turn with us to the very first page, Genesis chapter 1. We'll get started there in just a moment. We are delighted that we could be together on Sunday, the best day of the week, where we can open our hearts and our minds and tell God what a powerful, wonderful, benevolent God He is to us. It is good to be among each other, and we're thankful for that occasion. We'll begin here in just a moment in Genesis chapter 1. You know, I was thinking, while we're doing the Lord's Supper, lots of thoughts run through my mind. We all have these little bags, and Marla seals them all up for us. And what we do as we take the Lord's Supper is we open up those little bags, don't we? Just like that grave was opened up, and something comes out. What came out was Jesus, but what comes out for us are blessings and reminders. And so that's just something to kind of store away. You know, it's not just a little plastic bag we, get, we are just holding the Lord's Supper in. It's something as a reminder, and it might help you as you think about these things. The actor, Kurt Douglas, famous Hollywood actor from years gone by, wrote an autobiography called Son of the Ragman. And in that book, he talks about a time right after World War II, he was already a famous actor. And he's driving along the San Diego Highway one day, and a sailor had his thumb out, hitchhiking. So he pulled over, picked him up. They were driving down the highway, just chit-chatting. The sailor kept looking at the Hollywood actor as they were chit-chatting. For long, the sailor said, hey, do you know who you are? And that's a statement that's being asked a lot today. Do I know who I am? We began a three-part series, began last week, as we talked about the idea of identity. And today's going to be part two. Lord willing, we'll do part three next week as we continue this little journey talking about identity. As we mentioned last week, our identity defines both our purpose and our value. So it is important to know who I am, who you are. In our very first lesson, we remind ourselves about discovering who I am. It's not figuring out. God has already figured it for us. We just have to discover that idea. Today, we're going to talk about my purpose. God made you on purpose for a purpose. And that's going to be the running thought we're going to be talking about today. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not just happen to be a few sails that run together. But God made you on purpose for a purpose. In our times, we're hearing a lot about gender identity, gender confusion, gender dysphoria, and people not understanding who they are. Major corporations are having to change their policies about equity, acceptance, and promotion of transgender platform. TV shows and movies are trying to make this acceptable today. And we see how valuable it is for us to know what the Bible teaches on these things. Just this past week, I was reading in the news where a school teacher got fired. She lost her job because in the email to staff, she used the pronouns she and he. And for using she and he, she lost her job. So this is the culture that we're living in. According to statistics, 1.4 million adults claim to be transgender. That's 0.6 of our population. You would get the idea from what we're hearing on the news and and how people talk about it. It must be 40 or 50%. It is not. 
Among young people, and I think a lot of this is just a fad, but among youth, transgender has doubled from 150,000 to 300,000 just in the past five years. We're going to see that this is not just a corporate issue. This is not just an issue of the media. This is not a political topic, but this is a biblical topic. The psalmist said in Psalms 100, Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who made us, not we ourselves. Do you see that? Also in the book of Psalms, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Once again in the book of Psalms, Your hands have made me and fashioned me and given me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Our focus today is going to be how God has a purpose in us. But I want to begin, first of all, with three major principles. Principles number one is that God does not make mistakes. God never makes mistakes. The idea that I am a man trapped in a woman's body, or I'm a woman trapped in a man's body, means that God made a mistake. And let's just take a time out here for a minute and mention this. The idea of evolution stands on no legs is worse than a theory. The idea that something came out of nothing has no evidence whatsoever. The book of Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 would tell us in that passage, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen. The idea that something just happens. Does that ever happen at home? You go home after a hard day work, and dinner's on the table. Well, who did this? It just happened. It never just happens. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you wake up in the middle of the night, and your, and your roof is leaking. Why is it leaking? It just happened. No, something causes it. Something always causes that. But the greatest thing of all is you cannot get life from non-life. If I put a rock right here and I leave it here for the next 2,000 years, it will still be a rock. Life cannot come from non-life. So the only beginning point is that God is the creator. That is what the Bible says, and that's what we must believe. The psalmist would say in Psalms 139, beginning in verse 13, it says, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book they were all written. The days were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. He's attributing to the fact that God made him. So we begin, first of all, by noticing Genesis chapter 1. Notice just a series of things it says after their kind. When you look in verse 11 of Genesis chapter 1, Then God said, The earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees on the earth bearing plants. It says, bearing fruit after their kind. It would say in verse 12, The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding um, seed after their kind. Again in verse 21, he would say this, Then God created great sea monsters, and every creature that moves under waters swarmed after their kind. Verse 24, it says, Then God said the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle, creeping things, 
beasts of the earth after their kind. Again, verse 25, God made the beasts of the earth after their kind. There's a sense of order here. Do you see that? A cow will make a cow. A horse will make a horse. Why? Because there's a certain kind there. God has these things. And we see how important that is. And what we see is if God made a mistake in making you, if you are male but you're supposed to be a female, God made a mistake. Well, did he make a mistake with your race? Did he make a mistake with your salvation? Did he make a mistake by calling sin, sin? Where does this end? The Bible tells us that the word of God, which is just an extension of God himself, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Perfect and right is God. And so the fingerprints of God are illustrated through our life. First of all, there's the intellectual level, the ability to think, to reason, to choose, to consider. We can put in the word discern. That makes us unique from the animal world. That makes us unique from the plant world. The relational level, to make friends, to marry, as we've said so many times already this morning, the koinonia, the fellowship we have among each other. That's something God made within us. And again, as we think about the spiritual level, the ability to pray, to worship, to connect to the soul, to seek the divine, these are things that God made within us. Remember that parable Jesus told about the farmer who tore down his barn and built larger barns? There's a little phrase in there I want you to notice. We just read over that so quickly. But in Luke chapter 12 and verse 18 and 19, then he said, this is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and I'll store up my grain and all my goods, and I will say to my soul, soul. You ever walk in a room and somebody's talking, there's no one else but one person? Who are you talking to? I'm talking to my soul. We don't usually use that expression, do we? But he understood that, and that's the way God made us. Now, also in Genesis chapter 1, I want you to notice the distinctions. In verse 4, God separated light from darkness. And in verse 6, God separated the waters above from the waters below. There were distinctions. Verse 9, God separated the land from the water. And then verse 27, God made male and female. And that follows this idea of distinctions, differences. That's how the created Lord made us. That's how God had put all these things before us. And so when we think about gender, men and women, we don't look the same. I won't mention just a minute, we're not built the same. We don't think the same. For instance, how we shop. This is how men shop, and this is how women shop. Have you ever noticed in grocery stores, and I'm guilty of this too, how many guys in grocery stores, how many men use their phones? They're not call, talking to work. They're saying, honey, what row is the mayonnaise on? I've been up and down this row four times. Where is the mayonnaise? Why do they do that? Because they don't know. And so there are differences. We think about how God made men and women different. Women have two X chromosomes, men have an XY chromosome. That cannot be changed. The, the bones of women are less dense than men. Men have more red blood cells. Women have more white blood cells. Men have a larger heart. They have more muscle mass. They see that women have better language skills. 
and men tend to be more aggressive, solution-oriented, and competitive. On average, men live less than women do. You want to find a woman doing this? I sure hope you don't do this, Wyatt. I've done something very close to this before. And so that's what we see. Some of you have been here for a while. Remember years ago I had a sermon called Waffles and Spaghetti. Men are like waffles. Women are like spaghetti. You look at that waffle and what do you see? Little bitty boxes. Little bitty boxes. And that's how men think. We're always in one box. And so the wife calls the husband at work. Honey, I'm thinking about you. Are you thinking about me? No, I'm at work. And she hangs up crying. Why aren't you thinking about me? Because I'm in a box called work. Then I'll leave this box. I'll come to a box called home. Then I'll come to a box called sports. Now, don't confuse me because I'm in one box at a time. That's how men think. Women, if you follow that plate of spaghetti, it kind of goes everywhere, doesn't it? She starts talking about the children, then vacation, and then the dog, and then her mother, and braces. And the man's going from box to box to box to box, and he can't figure out why the dog needs braces. You see, that's just how it is. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's why sometimes in conversations, I'll just look over to my wife and think, we've got a big plate of spaghetti right now. I don't know where we are. I don't know what we're talking about. We've talked about 40 subjects in five minutes here, and I don't know where we are. And that's just the difference. Distinct, different, and deliberate. That's how God has made us. Point number two, you cannot change your gender. In spite of what politics are saying, and what laws are being passed, you cannot change your gender. You can take a man, dress him in a dress, give him a female name, shoot him for a hormones, do all kinds of things, but at the end of the day, he is a man. You have not changed his chromosomes. A hundred years from now, if we were to dig up his bones and look at his bones, do some CSI, we would say that was a man who was buried there. Shakespeare said it well this way. He said in Romeo and Juliet, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. What if we call that rose morning breath? Would it change how it smells? What if we call that rose roadkill? Would it change how it doesn't change how it smells. Call it whatever you want to call it. It doesn't change what it is. That's what we're trying to get you to see. Your gender is determined by God. Call yourself what you want. Do what you want to the outside. It doesn't change who you are. You cannot change your gender. And then number three, gender changing does not bring happiness. I believe a lot of people feel like because of the confusion, because of the dysphoria, the unhappiness, that if I could change to who I think I really am, who I really feel, that will bring about happiness. Listen to these sad statistics. Transgender suicide rate is 40% in America. The national average is 4.1. Now, they try to justify this by saying, well, they're not being accepted. They're having trouble at home. People don't like them. But couldn't those same things be said of you and I as Christians? We're not accepted. A lot of times we're not like that home. A lot of times there's a lot of pressure on us, but the suicide rate among Christians is not like that. We need to see that this is not something that we find that's given the answers that they're looking for. Among LBGTQ youths, 52%, more than half, 
have given serious thought to suicide. And so what I want us to see as we begin our lesson here today, there's certain things that are just set that cannot be changed. God has made you on purpose for a purpose. And now what we're going to look at is what is that purpose? You go to school for 18 years. You go to work for some company or multiple companies for the next 45 years. You retire and you die. There's a little bit of joy here and there. There are moments of weddings and babies and grandbabies. But most of your life is sit, spent sitting in the classroom, sitting at a workplace, doing what generations have done before. And is that what life is all about? Solomon would remind us in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13, when the conclusion is heard, when all has been said, fear God and keep his commandments. This is true whether you're a student, an office worker, retired, or just starting out in life. This crosses over to what kind of student I'm going to be. I'm going to be one who fears God. What kind of athlete I'm going to be. I'm going to be one who fears God. What kind of co-worker am I going to be? One who fears God. What kind of parent? One who fears God. What kind of church member am I going to be? One who fears God. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, I think we see a little example of someone who understood this. Noah. Noah understood his purpose. Here in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned by God about things not seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Number one, intellectually, Noah understood. Being warned by God. He understood that. Now, once you look at that little phrase that's underlined, being told, being warned by God about things not yet seen. You see, he couldn't go to the local library and say, well, I'm going to look this up. There's nothing on this. I'm going to go ask Grandpa about this. Grandpa knows nothing about this. Science cannot help him. History cannot help him. Philosophy cannot help him. No one has been down that road before. Now, most people think that the passage is talking about rain, how it had never rained before. But I would add things to that. What about a flood? What about the earth opening up and waters coming up from the inside? What about every living thing, plant, animal, and human being that's not in the ark is going to die? There's lots of things that Noah had never seen before in his life. Before we move on, we need to see that you and I are in the same place. God has warned you about things we have never seen before. God's warned us that there's a place called hell. You can't go down to the library and put a book on that. I can't Google that. I can't say, I'm going to study that. I understand there's some, some scientists, and they did some heat research on this. No one's been there. No one knows this. But just like Noah, we've been warned about this. Now, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people that think that their lives are hell right now. I've talked to people who said, well, you know, my marriage is so bad where I work is so bad, this is hell. And no, it's not. No, it's not. I've had some terrible jobs. I worked between college one time at this fishery place. And we were raising goldfish. And they'd ship them all over the world. My job was to bring the fish in, they'd put them on the table, and they'd sort them out. And one pet store would be buying these fish, one pet store buying these fish. And every once in a while, there's a fish that's not looking good or a fish that's dead, and they just scoop it off into a trash can. 
And it'd stay there until the trash can got very full. And then we took this trash can and put it back of a pickup. The pickup had no back glass. And it was full of trash cans, full of dead fish. And every once in a while, the boss would say, Roger, time to take them up to the hill. And I'd get in that pickup, and it's full of flies. And I'd be throwing up almost the whole way up there. And I'd have to take those big old cans and turn them over on a whole hill full of dead, stinking fish. I told the boss, I will wash your car with my own personal toothbrush if I never have to do that again. I even told him one day, I'll work for free if I don't have to go up that hill again. It stank. That was terrible. But you know what? That's not hell. That's not hell. And God has also told us, there's a day coming in the book of Revelation which the great and small will be gathered together and we will be judged. Everybody will be there. Now, I have a lot of questions about that. Are we going to be there by generations? Are we going to be there in alphabetical order? S, my last name, I mean, I'm going to wait a long time. You A folks get kind of through there kind of quickly, I guess. Will I see Abraham Lincoln over there? Will I see George Washington? Will I see the Abraham there from the Bible? I don't know. But what the passage tells us is that Noah was told about God by some things he had no evidence on. He did not have a book he could read on. He did not have a person he could talk to. Yet he understood and he believed. Noah understood his purpose because God said it. And that's enough for me. Secondly, Noah understood emotionally. The Bible says in reverence. Other passages will say in holy fear or motivated by godly fear. And then the passage tells us that he was directionally obeyed God. He had prepared the ark. He did what God wanted him to do. Now, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. You see this discussion about identity, this discussion about gender. It's not about who is a woman who is a man? What is a man? What is a woman? What the discussion really about is truth. What God has said. And so in Romans chapter 1, if you will, take your Bible there. And let's read this section here. And I want to point out two or three statements with you from this. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them that God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which is made, so that they are without excuse. But even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and foolish hearts was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image of a form of corruptible man, of birds, of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them up, God gave them over to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. 
For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their own desire towards one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to depraved mind to do things which are not proper to do." being filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness and greed and malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, their gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And we may look at this and say, what a terrible list. And it all goes back to three or four things that stands out. Number one, verse 18, they suppressed the truth. Phillips in his translation says, men who render the truth as dumb. The CEB says, human beings who silence the truth. When you silence the truth, you're going to follow error. The second thing we notice is that they exchange the truth for a lie. That is where our culture is today. They've exchanged it for a lie. And then verse 28, they do not acknowledge God. And so when truth is thrown out, nothing is wrong and everything is right. This is why the prophet Isaiah would say in Isaiah chapter 5, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They've just changed everything. Why would they do that? Because they've given up on truth. They've given up on God. I want you to go back to Romans 1 and I want you to notice three things with me real quickly. Look with me at verse 24, verse 26, and also verse 28. Three times the passage says, God gave them over. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. Verse 28, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over. If you're willing to live like an animal... Be driven by your instincts and deny that you are created in the image of God. God will allow you to do that. If you want to spend a night with pigs, God will let you do that. If you want to live like a pig, God will let you do that. And when you look at what comes about here, notice the result of these things. Verse 26, it is degrading. Verse 26, it is unnatural. Verse 27 is indecent. Verse 28 is deprived. Verse 28, it is not proper. How do you get that way? You've walked away from truth. And so we go back to John chapter 14, where Jesus defines truth. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Three attributes of truth. Number one, truth is narrow. Truth is exclusive. One and one is two. That's the only way it's going to be. You go to a store with a $5 bill, you try to buy something that costs $10, the man's going to say, well, you need five more dollars. And say, no, to me, this means 10. See if you walk out with that. You may walk out, but you're not going to have that item. Truth is narrow. There is one answer. Truth also protects us. It keeps us safe. Do you ever read warning labels? I was, we had some kids over last weekend, and I was putting away some stuff, and there was a hair dryer, and there's a warning label. Do not do this, do not use this item in the shower. 
Well, yeah, you get a new hairdo if you do. You ever see a warning label on a chainsaw? Do not try to sharpen while running. Yeah, yeah, you'll have no fingers there. You see, truth protects us. It keeps us safe, but then it also liberates us. It liberates us from lies. It liberates us from a meaningless life. It liberates us from life without value, life without purpose. And that's where society is today. They don't know why, who they are, what they're supposed to do, or where they're going. God answers all of that. And that's why we see these powerful passages to buy truth. Buy it and do not sell it, he says. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Or as Jesus said in John chapter 8, you will know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Back to Noah passage. Notice what happened, the impact. First of all, it affected his family. The salvation of his household. He was warned by God. He listened and he obeyed. That impacted his family. It also impacted his world. Through his actions, he condemned the world. Through your actions, you're going to condemn the world by living holy, by saying you're not a dog. You're not somebody who can change your hair color, your eye color, your gender. You might change your hair color, but you can't change your gender no matter what society says. You cannot do that. God made you the way he wanted you to be. And then it impacted his soul. He became an heir of righteousness. So as we wrap this up, what am I supposed to do? God made you on purpose for a purpose. Well, what am I supposed to be doing? Well, let's just look at some things here. Book of Acts, as it talked about King David, for David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. He served the purpose of God. What is that purpose? What is it that God wants you to do? Why did God make you? He had something in mind. Number one, to be a worshiper of him. Let's put some verses on this, if you will. Turn with me, if you will, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 23. John 4, verse 23, the Bible says, But hours coming, and now is, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Who does God seek? Someone that's going to worship him, that bows down to him, that realizes God and I are not on the same level. I can't go toe-to-toe, eye-to-eye with God. I can't stick my finger to heaven and say, God, you owe me. Because he doesn't. God wants us to be a worshiper of him. And that's much more than just coming to church. That's bringing my heart to him. God wants you to be an influencer. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are. And so we're showing people the godly way. We're showing people the example that God expects from us. We're showing the concept that God wants us to be. And then God wants you to be like Jesus. Romans chapter 8 talks about being conformed to the image of Jesus. But turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 over to chapter 5. I want you to notice this little strand here, this little thread about Jesus and God and ourselves. Ephesians chapter 4. He says in verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. What does God want? God wants you to be a forgiver. 
Don't stop. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and the sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. What does God want you to do? God wants you to be like Jesus. When somebody's mean and nasty, you're not going to be that way back. When somebody's been cruel, you're not going to be that way. When somebody's hard on you, you're not going to be that way. You're going to be the way that Jesus would have acted. And then what does God want? God wants you to be a follower of Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The writer Charles Dickens, in his classic A Christmas Carol, has Jacob Marley speaking to Ebenezer Scrooge. And, and if you've ever seen the movies about this or the play, Jacob Marley had died. He came back as a ghost. And he's all chained up. And, and he has this big lockbox behind him. And he's paying penitence for all his sins. And when he talks to Ebenezer Scrooge, he says, Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. What is your business? It's not where you go to work tomorrow. Your business is these four things right here on the screen. To be a worshiper of God. You do that whether you're cutting hair, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a mechanic, whether you're retired, whether you're in school. That's your business. What's your business? To be an influencer to all the people around you. What's your business? To be like Jesus. What's your business? Is to be a follower of Christ. That's what that is. And so our identity, our purpose is defined by God. And when you find that purpose, what a difference that makes. There is a couple from Arkansas, members of God's kingdom. They have four sons. The oldest son was a gospel preacher. But years later, he left his wife for another woman. Got divorced. Quit preaching. Quit following Jesus. The youngest son, when he was in college, declared that he was homosexual. And so one day, mom and dad sat down with these two sons. One who is now a marriage that's not right. One who claims to be homosexual. And a mom and dad with tears in her eyes said, we love you to death, both of you. We will help both of you any way we can. But let it be known, we will not lose our souls because of you. We love you more than anything else. But we love Jesus more than we love you. Think you can say that to one of your sons? That's a couple had incredible faith. Credible courage. To understand, there are times I just have to stand with God. And the people I love the most, if they're not staying with God, I'll love you and I'll try to help you, but don't accept me to come over here and accept you because to do that, I have to leave my God. I will always be with my God. And I want to end by reading something. I know you've heard me read this a zillion times, but I just had to read it a zillion one time more. It's this little poem I like so much to keep it in my Bible. It's called Belong to Christ. It's written by Bob Moorhead. It says, I'm part of the following of the unashamed. I have God's power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus.
I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, my future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, chintzy giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by presence. I walk by faith. I lift by power and labor by love. My face is set. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. But my guide is reliable. And my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will not give up, shut up, let up, until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I belong to him. I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, and he will come, he'll have no problem recognizing me, for my colors will be clear. God made you. Now, right there, we could just stop for a while. Why did God put so much energy in Ashley? I don't know. Man, Ashley, if he drinks a power drink, I think he would explode. But I love him in the morning. He brings such energy to this congregation. He's wired that way. By God. Why are some of us shy? You're wired that way by God. Why are some of you male? You're made that way by God. Why are you female? God made you that way. Don't start thinking, well, there's mistakes. I need to be something else. You do not need to be something else. What you need to be is figuring out what is it God wants me to do. And it's not just get that degree so I nail it to a wall. It's not just I can work until I can retire and buy the car of my dreams. What God wants me to do is to honor him and to walk with him and to realize that's the difference. We're living in a time when our culture is going down the sewer very fast. Once you throw out God, there is no limits. Now, I may not live long enough, but I believe a time will come when the discussion on the table will not be you can change your gender, but I think the change will be we can change our species. I'm no longer a human being, I'm an alien, or I'm something else. And as crazy as that sounds, once you open that door, there's no shutting it. So what's the answer? The answer is understanding you're beautifully made by God. You're talented by God. You're gifted by God. And to use that thing, not for selfish reasons, but to use it for God. That's what he wants you to see. And so this morning, if one among us knows enough to be baptized, that's where it begins. It begins by understanding I need to be in Christ. I belong to Jesus. It is God who made me. Next week, as we will wrap up this series, Lord, we're going to talk about how God intends for us to be with him forever. That begins by doing something with your sins. You have made a mistake. You have sinned. And you cannot 
sit in church long enough. You cannot read enough verses. You cannot be good enough. You cannot give enough money away. You cannot get rid of those sins. You have to have Jesus. I have to have Jesus. And you do that by believing in him, being baptized for remission of your sins, and then walking with him. And then for all of us, off to school tomorrow, off to work tomorrow, off to the marketplace tomorrow, all of us need to realize I have a busy day, a busy schedule, a busy life, but my main purpose is the kingdom of God. May I put the kingdom before all things. That's why God has made us. If you're subject, why don't you come as we stand and sing?